This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Tuesday afternoon. Got a lot to dive into. The Braves uh, able to squeak one out last night, 2-1 to one over the San Francisco Giants. We'll dive into that. Also going to be joined by Connor Riley of Dog Nation. Georgia picking up uh, some big commitments over this past week. We'll get an update from Connor on that. But there's a particular fandom out there uh, of a sport and of a game that I think from the outside looking in is pretty niche, but the people who care about this game care about it very deeply. And you might be surprised who the people are because when you think gamer, I don't know what image comes to your head, but for these people, a lot of them are probably listening uh, to this program right now. And they've had to forget about their game for a long time due to uh, different rules that have changed and muddied over the past couple of years. And now there's hope on the horizon uh, and to fill us in on that hope uh, and to give us some details about we could, what we could potentially see from extra points with Matt Brown, Matt Brown joining us here on the program. Uh, Matt, how close are we to getting EA sports college football back? My friends. Well, first uh, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, according to multiple document documents that I have been able to review from EA Sports and the CLC, which is the licensing partner with many schools, uh, I can tell you that the, uh, the target date that all parties are shooting for remains July of 2023, so about, oh, just about a year away from everybody being able to have the game in their hands. So let's go back, because I believe the last game that came out was NCAA 2014, which was for the 2013 season, right? Uh, And I remember the big exposés that were done on it, like on 60 Minutes, saying like, hey, this is kind of exploitive uh, of the college football players. Like, you're not inherently saying Tim Tebow, uh, but if you go to Florida's roster, there is a giant white quarterback which says QB number 15, and he's ranked as like a 98 overall. He happens to be left-handed. He happens to have all the same gear, face mask as Tim Tebow. It just doesn't say Tim Tebow. So going back to 2013 and when this got shut down, what were the initial reasons for that? Sure. The, the biggest reason was the, they got sued. Um, they, they, got, uh, they, got, they got sued. This was, the, this was the big Ed O'Bannon case who, who said that, listen, it's not fair that uh, these video game companies and these universities are able to use my likeness uh, in a game without paying me for it. Um, and they, they, uh, I know the, the athletes were then given checks uh, you know, by order of the court for, for this and EA responded with, we'd love to pay for it, but there wasn't a way for them to be able to do it without athletes then risking losing their eligibility, right? NIL wasn't a thing in 2014, 2015 that would have been permitted under how amateurism rules were defined. So clearly now, that's, that's very different. You know, we, we've had NIL now for a year. We have group licensing systems that allow for athletes to uh, lend their name to sell jerseys. Uh, just, I think, last week, we, we've seen a group license set up for athletes to lend their name to sell trading cards. There are efforts underway right now. They're not finalized, but they're underway to create a licensing mechanism so athletes can be in this game. And that's EA's preference, and that's what they've told all of the schools. Like, hey, we want to use current players in this game, and we want to pay them for it, uh, along with, with paying you. So uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either either they're going to be successful, and that is my expectation, that is EA's expectation, that is the school's expectation, and the industry's expectation, that there will be a mechanism finalized by July of 23 to pay athletes 
uh, you know, probably in the, the low four figures ish range uh, to participate in the game, or they uh, will have randomized and locked rosters. So users cannot customize them and just download the, the you know, the, the regular, the, the, the correct rosters from the internet like they're able to do last time. Um, and, uh, and, 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 play and have the game anyway. So we're going to get a game in July of next year, one way or the other. It is, it is most likely, overwhelmingly most likely, that it will be with, with actual athletes and their names and their attributes and faces. I guess uh, if there was one thing that could stand in the way of that, it is the fact that there's a different law uh, in every single state uh, around what players can and can't be wearing, like right in, inside, say, a player from the University of Georgia wants to go out there and do an NIL deal, he can't have a giant Georgia logo uh, on his chest when he's doing it, but North Carolina, uh, LSU, schools like that actively encourage the players to do it. So just because there's so many different laws, is that kind of the only thing that's standing in the way? Because it's not just, hey, we pay the school and then they distribute that out to the students. Now it's the, the student-athletes are a separate entity from the university and they both have to get paid for their likenesses. Um, I'm told the state law issue isn't a major factor in the video game. Um, you know, you'll, you'll part of that is because, you know, hey, the, 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 an, an athlete digitally wearing a Georgia uniform in the game, so long as Georgia has been paid and the athlete has been paid, doesn't violate Georgia law. The, 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 the hang-up here is the logistics of signing up 10,000 athletes to a program, knowing that you're not going to individually haggle over the price for each individual athlete. That would, that would be impossible. It would take far too long and right. be way too expensive. When, when EA does this with Madden or with NHL or with FIFA, they have central uh, entities which they can do the contract with. They have a union. There's a collective bargaining agreement. They said they set aside with the NFLPA or whoever, and they, you know, they, they set up a standardized Madden check. And just about everybody gets about the same amount of money unless you're on the cover or something. You can't do that in college because there's no college players union. Um, and so what's happening right now is those things are all being negotiated you know, school by school or sometimes athlete by athlete, the one, you know, once there's a company that has enough of these group licenses set up and saying, hey, we're going to be the licensing agent for EA, and I expect that to happen in a couple of months, um, people will then flock to that license. The one place like where this could get tricky, and I don't, and this is not, I don't want to say this, it's not so tricky that they won't be in the game, but it will be a huge pain in the butt. Is the if you are a football player that signed over all of your NIL rights ex, uh, with exclusivity to a collective, well now now EA has to work through that collective, or the CLC has to work through that collective to get your rights because you can't sign up yourself. And if the EA has to negotiate with thirty of those and all these other companies, that's a gigantic pain in the butt. Um, but it's it's a pain in the butt that is right now believed to be possible. I was going to say, it's something that's certainly possible, but uh, just excuse my ignorance, and I, I, know, I think you touched on it while you were talking, but so for uh, FIFA or for Madden, right, is there a different tiering for players? Like is Tom Brady making a different amount of money uh, as a undrafted free agent who has his name in the game, or is it everybody's getting cut the same check? As, as I understand it, and I'm not, I'm not an expert because I haven't seen the exact deals, but as it's been explained to me, is that the, the vast majority of athletes um, are making about the same amount of money. If you're on the cover of Madden, and there may be a, a small handful of superstars who will make more money. But honestly, like, nobody really makes a ton of money from being in Madden or from being in the NHL game. Um, maybe if you're, if you're the cover athlete, but it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a four, maybe five-figure check. It's, it's not a gigantic yeah. thing. And that's definitely the case here for 
for NCAA. Like we know for a fact, at least we do through my reporting, how much money the schools are making. The schools, the school licensing fee is broken up over tiers depending on how successful you've been. And EA defines that as the number of top 25 finishes in the AP poll over the last 10 years. And if you're at the top tier, tier one, you're pulling in about $105,000 for your licensing fee. And if you're at the bottom tier, if you're like Texas State or Nebraska, who hasn't made a top uh-huh. 25 in that period, you're making like 10 grand. Um, but, but no one's making $6 million to, to, be, to be in this game, and in part because there's an absolutely enormous marketing advantage. And schools realize that if they try to play hardball and, and push for more money, that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna face pushback from their fans and from recruits and from potential consumers. And I, Madden athletes recognize, I mean, and NFL players recognize that the same thing. It's worth it to them to be in the game, even if they don't make bank from being a part of it. Yeah, and I know our co-host here, Ben Troop, was All-American at Florida uh, back in the early 2000s. He was a part of that Ed O'Bannon uh, lawsuit. We like to give him a hard time for it because he, he they just said, hey, class action, you want to be a part of it? And he was like, yeah, I mean, why not? And then he got, I think, about just enough money to buy a new video game right now uh, out of that thing. He's talked about that before on the show. But it sounds like EA is willing to go to battle to get this done, right? It, there's not a, a whole lot of games, I think, out there that they would put in over, what, a decade worth of waiting to try to get done. And then with all the headaches that are going to be around it, unless they think this is a very viable product and there is a huge market out there for it. They are going to make a gajillion dollars from this thing. Um, and, I mean, is, is it going to be as big as FIFA? Like, no, because there's not an international market for college football games. But they recognize that, yeah, that there's, there's a ton of consumers that are waiting a long time for this and that universities are excited to push it. Um, and they have wanted to do it. Uh, they, they were just waiting for the, the legal and regulatory environment to change so that they could make the game that they wanted. Um, they have spent a lot of money already on developers and project managers and, uh, and, and tech people and also in motion capture and asset capture to get this thing ready because they know it can be a, um, a, a really important franchise for them down the road. Okay, I did want to ask you about that because you mentioned it uh, in your story, and you can read yeah. uh, all of this on extrapointsmp.com, but uh, it sounds like they're not just reskinning Madden for this, right? It sounds like this is going to be a product in and of itself, which, again, it could be a very niche conversation out there for people, but the, the difference between the NCAA games back in the day and the Madden games, it just always seemed uh, like the yeah. college football games had a better gameplay. So in your reporting, uh, you mentioned just the depth that they're going to uh, to try to make this an authentic experience for the fans out there. Uh, but also, it seems like this will basically be its own engine. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I can't speak exactly to the gameplay side. I know that there's a major consumer concern with this will be reskinned Madden, and I do feel pretty comfortable based on the documents I've reviewed and the conversations I've had with people on the development team that that's, it's, not, it's not a pure reskin of Madden. And part of that is they're going through they're moving heaven and earth to try and get the most realistic stadium and team depiction possible. And so by that, I mean every, everybody, including Coastal, including Georgia Tech, including you know, every, every FBS school, has sent in tens of thousands of photographs to, of the stadium to re-render it in for PlayStation 5, um, which is something that's, that's, that has not happened before. That you can't just plug-and-play assets from like PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 2. Uh, it was a 
very significant computing um, demand, which is why they, 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 the development's taken two years. It takes a long time to build those stadiums. They've reached out to all the schools saying, hey, listen, I don't just want your marching band. I don't just want your fight song. I don't just want a couple of clips from your marching band. I want to know what song you play in the stadium during the third quarter. I want to know what, what chants your student section does. I want you to type them out. I need the cadence. I want to be able to replicate that exactly. I want to be able to replicate not just where the spirit sticker goes on the helmet, but like, you know, when, when they get put on over the course of the season. So I can accurately depict what it looks like in early November. You know, I want to bring in the historical uniforms and the old, the vintage, all, all of the stuff. And they're asking schools for, and that's being provided. I can also tell you guys, I don't know if I've, I've reported this yet, but they reached out to several college sports subject matter experts. And I'll, you know, I'll leave that to you guys to what that might mean to help inform the development team of how the sport has changed in the last decade, right? When, when NCAA football 2013 was, was out, you know, the, the, the major gameplay development was that this was the, the best that they had done at depicting the option, which was, uh, you know, that was, was very much in vogue, still used, of course, in, in college. Um, RPOs weren't a thing back then. Now that's a cornerstone of the college football offense. So obviously gameplay-wise, that has to be put in there. The transfer portal did not exist um, you better believe that that's going to be part of roster management in like the next college football game. So like they're, they're, they are clearly making an effort to make this as realistic as possible. Like, will it be good? Can't promise that. I understand when people are skeptical of EA, but I, I can tell you it's not going to be Matt. I, I want to ask you this before I let you go. Again, Matt Brown from Extra Points with Matt Brown joining us here on second down. But uh, with just talking about EA, right, Madden seems like it's kind of on a downward trajectory because it feels like, uh, the same game year after year. I used to be a person uh, who would buy it all the time, uh, especially when I was in college. Every year, uh, I would buy the yeah. next copy. I don't know that I've bought one in the last five years. Uh, they've just lost their licensing deal with FIFA, and so now it's going to be EA like Soccer Club or like Soccer FC uh, or EA FC, something along those lines, right? But bringing this back, and you said, I believe the figure you put out there was a gajillion dollars uh, off of this, and then with the huge TV deals that we're about to see, right? Uh, ESPN uh, is signing a new deal with the SEC, but they're also going after the Big Ten uh, and Pac-12 because you don't need just terrestrial channels anymore. With the way streaming is going, you can have as many conferences as you want to, right? Uh, with the NIL figures that are coming out, where in the landscape of, I guess we can just stick with American sports here, but where in the landscape of American sports do you think college football falls right now? Because I'm starting to think it's pushing past most, if not all, of the major sports except the NFL? Some of this depends on your market, right? I, th I think where you are, and I, I think you know where I grew up, which is in, in rural Ohio, I think college football is unquestionably the second most popular sport. College football in, <clears throat> and, and outside of Columbus and in South Georgia and in uh, you know, East Texas, it's, a, it's bigger than the NBA. It's bigger than Cubs baseball. It's way bigger than hockey for sure. In Boston – Different story, right? Like you know, the, the 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 genesis of this sport is very much in the Midwest, the South, and Texas, and in the and in the coasts, and in the some of the mountain states, it's 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 a little bit different. There are places where I would be a little bit concerned about football, long long term. Um, you know, if, if if my job was to make sure that people in the East Bay in San Francisco or in Portland or in Hartford, Connecticut were super engaged in college football over the next 30 years, I would be a little bit concerned. But if I was in Jacksonville or if I was in Detroit or, 
I, you know, I don't know Tulsa. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be worried at all. It's. 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 Uh, it's there. There it is. Uh, the interest is certainly very, very strong. And this, you know, to kind of go full circle here, I honestly got to think the video game is an important component to help building and retaining that college football fandom for a new generation of consumer. Oh, for one sure. One of the things, if you, if you talk to an athletic director right now, one of the, among the many, many things that they're concerned about all across the country, even at a major program like Georgia or Florida, they're worried about engaging their youngest fans because student attendance is down almost everywhere. Attendance among millennials is down in many places, and so is TV viewership. More young people are engaging with, with, with not just sports, but their entertainment in general through games, through their phones, through tablets, through other devices, rather than the same way that maybe people you know, in their late 30s, 40s, and 50s consume things. To be able to get college football and those personalities and those brands and that iconography back on a platform where the, this current generation of consumers is looking to experience stuff, it's a gigantic win, and, and there, there's a reason why many schools are really excited to participate in this, even if they're not going to get a whole lot of money up front, because they realize that there's going to be somebody in Boise, Idaho, who's going to pick up this game and fall in love with Coastal Carolina and the teal turf and everything, who has never thought about that school unless they had booted them up in the, in the game, because that, that is absolutely what happens. Oh, I, I should not know hail to the victor, like back and forth, but I, I do, as a kid who yeah. grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, I know probably like... 30 to 40 fight songs that I should not, absolutely not know. It's, it's really where I fell in love with college football. So, yeah, I, I'm completely with you on that. It's just another tool you can use if you're the universities or ESPN or whatever, I guess. I, I'm assuming it's going to be ESPN that they use because that's just who they use in the past. But just so many different avenues uh, in which, like you said, you're engaging with a new generation of fans. Matt, uh, tell the people where they can find your stuff and, and if you're working on anything right now that you'd like people uh, to digest. Yeah, friends, I, I got to be honest. After after dropping a couple of these uh, college football scoops, I meet uh, EA Sports scoops. I immediately got COVID and oh, was no. sleeping for four days. So I'm, I'm trying to climb back here to get ready on a couple other bigger stories. You can find everything that I do at extrapointsmb.com. It is a newsletter that comes out every weekday. You can subscribe and get two of them for free, and you can support our investigative reporting and our unique analysis through a paid subscription to get everything that we do, including all of our video game coverage. That's at extrapointsmb.com. I don't know if I've ever read anybody who requests more Freedom of Information Acts uh, than Matt Brown, but he's out there doing it for us because he knows we want to know about the next NCAA football game. Matt, I appreciate the time, man. Got to do it again. That's me. All right, take it easy, my friend. Appreciate it. Again, Matt Brown from Extra Points. Uh, Find all this stuff at extrapointsmb.com. We got more to come here. We're going to come back. Connor Riley coming up at 235. We got more to come here right on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here. Uh, just caught up with Matt Brown from Extra Points talking about July 2023 is when we could see a new NCAA football game. And from everything uh, Matt was talking about there, it I'm getting my hopes up. I hate doing that because it's, it's a really good way to be disappointed. But as a soon-to-be 30-year-old man, I am absolutely getting my hopes up uh, about a video game there. And listen, it's one of those games. It feels like we've been frozen in time. Because the last time I got to play it, I was 20. About to be 30. Haven't had a new one in a decade. I- I'm excited about it. Uh, Braves start another win streak here. Two in a row. Uh, get a 2-1 to win last night over the San Francisco Giants. Arcia walks it off uh, there in the bottom of the ninth. Two outs. Really cool to see that. And I thought almost 
a hilarious moment because in case you missed it, Jock Peterson, one of the heroes of the Braves playoff run last night, uh, made his return to Atlanta and got his World Series ring, got the pictures uh, in front of the World Series trophy there at Truist Park. And so there's a lot of love uh, in his last at bat that he came up, got a standing ovation uh, from the crowd there at Truist Park. So it's just one of those things where it's very unique to baseball uh, to see things like that. Uh, so a really good feel-good story, but in the bottom of the ninth, runners on first and second with two outs. Arcia uh, just ropes one into left field to who? Jock Peterson. And it was shallow left field too. So I thought for half a second there, uh, Jock Peterson was about to take the standing ovation from the Braves and then tag out their guy going into home base there in the bottom of the ninth, but able to get in there safely. Braves take it two to one. Uh, they'll go again tonight against the San Francisco Giants, but there's a really cool piece up right now. Uh, I encourage you to go read it on ESPN.com because we've been asking for a while, what the hell did Brian Snitker say to this team in that closed door meeting after Arizona? That's they all of a sudden start ripping off 14 wins in a row. There's an awesome piece up by Jesse Rogers on ESPN.com on the front page uh, discussing it. And the message from Brian Snicker, was it throwing trash cans around the room? Was it going full Will Muschamp and punching a whiteboard? No. One word. Relax. Uh, and that's exactly apparently what the Braves needed to hear because they've cut that NL East lead from the New York Mets from 10 and a half games to five and a half games. Uh, and they've gone from four and a half games out of the wild card spot uh, to owning the National League's fourth best record. I think that's something that not a lot of folks are talking about. Braves being in first place uh, in a few divisions across Major League Baseball right now. So this team's got it together. They have a crazy good lineup. And the starting pitching right now is absolutely disgusting, right? I mean, Max Fried last night throwing another gym. And then you have... Spencer Strider coming out of nowhere. I believe he has the lowest ERA. Granted, the fewest amount of innings, but the lowest ERA right now uh, for the entire staff. So it's looking like another playoff run for the Atlanta Braves, but that's something that Brian Snitker mentioned in there. It just takes a lot out of you after you make consecutive deep playoff runs because don't forget the Braves made it to the NLCS Game 7 uh, the year prior to winning the World Series. So they've played a lot of baseball in the last couple years. Just took him getting out of a funk there, and Brian Snicker saying, guys, relax. And now they are right back in the race as we were getting close uh, to the all-star break there. we got to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to catch up with Connor Riley from Dog Nation. Georgia has picked up some big recruits over the past week. We'll break it down with Connor Riley next right here on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Two different locations in Savannah to take care of all of your uniform needs. It has been an awesome past few days on the recruiting trail uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. They have landed three big-time commitments going back uh, to the 16th when A.J. Harris, the five-star corner uh, out of Alabama, commits to Georgia. And to break down all the commitments from the past week from Dog Nation, Connor Riley joins us here. Connor, thanks for taking the time, man. No problem. Pleasure to be on with you guys. And I mentioned it there. It's been a pretty good week uh, for Georgia going back to the 16th when A.J. Harris uh, commits there. And let's let's start with that, man. I know a team where it seems like every year they're pulling in multiple uh, blue chippers there at that cornerback position, but still question marks linger even going in, into this year uh, about who's going to be lining up alongside Keely Ringo. So how big was this commitment for Georgia? 
Yeah, this is a significant for Georgia for a couple of reasons. One, he is the top-rated player that they have in their class right now, number I think 25 overall player in the sport. But two, it's almost as important that Georgia got him as to where he didn't go somewhere else because the other school that he was really looking at was Florida, and that's obviously Georgia's biggest rival. And it sounded like Florida made a very strong push to try and land AJ Harris and. Ultimately, Georgia wins that recruitment there. And, you know, first year in a Billy Napier, you know, he found some success there at National Signing Day with Kamari Wilson and Shamar James. But this sort of recruiting win was a really plague Dan Mullen. He couldn't win those big-time top recruiting battles for those top prospects against Georgia. So for Georgia, you know, for a while it seemed like Harris had sort of been trending to Florida. So for Georgia to come in and land him and pitch him on coming to Georgia where they've had a lot of turnover, not just, at that cornerback position, but even at that position coach spot, you know, uh, Chris Smith is a defensive back for Georgia. It's going to be his fourth different defensive back coach in his career at Georgia with Fran Brown this year. But Fran Brown really made a strong impression on A.J. Harris, and I think his role in this recruitment is why Harris ultimately ends up picking the dogs. Uh, and he has an interesting story just with Kirby Smart, right? He kind of made a promise to Kirby Smart back when he was a camper. Yeah, dating back to his time as like you know one of those middle school camps that Kirby Smart we used to have, where he was back in the sixth grade. He attended those camps along with fellow Georgia commit Pierce Sperlin, and those two have had a sort of long relationship. And now I believe, as it stands, those guys are two of the top three commitments in this Georgia class. And it sort of you know shows a how long Kirby Smart has now been at Georgia, where kids who are middle schoolers at one point in time were were interacting with him at camps and whatnot. And now are coming to play for him but two i think it also shows the the cachet that kirby smart really has with these current group of recruits now of hey this is a guy that they recognize has been doing it for a while that has these long-term relationships and he's no longer the young coach the the, the up-and-comer that he was maybe even two three years ago so they land aj harris on the 16th and a couple days later uh they get a commitment from a kicker peyton woodring out of louisiana there and i know uh, not a lot of recruiting services do stars for kickers but uh, through all of the metrics that the different kicking recruiting sites do, uh, about as good as they get. What do they get there uh, in Peyton Woodring? Yeah, uh, I think he's the number four overall kicker recruit for Cole's, Cole's kicking camp uh, in this class. And the most interesting thing, I think, when it comes to Peyton Woodring, he had two Power Five offers. One was to Alabama, the other was to Georgia. Alabama offered him first, and he still elected to come to the University of Georgia. Now, it does help that Georgia just had a punter going the NFL draft this past year and Jake Camarda. It also helps that uh, Rodrigo Blankenship is having a currently successful NFL career there as well. And they've de- done a good job of developing special teams and making that a real priority at the University of Georgia. But I-, I think it speaks to sort of where this Georgia program is that with certain recruits, you know, Georgia and Alabama go head to head against each other and Georgia's going to be able to win their fair share of them. And so while, you know, a kicker doesn't normally, you know, bring a, a lot of celebration and a lot of, you know, jubilation that comes with it. It is a little eye-opening that Georgia's able to go head-to-head against Alabama for a player of this caliber and come out with a win. Now, what, just quickly, is, is the state, I guess, of Georgia's special teams right now? Because I know you lose Jake Camarda, uh, who was about as good of a punter as you could have had, and Jack Pelesny coming back. But what does the future look like for Georgia at those specialist spots? Yeah, so this will be Jack Fudlesny's final year of eligibility at Georgia. He will be on scholarship, and he will be the field goal kicker again this year. It'll be interesting to see if he handles kickoff or if that goes to Jared Zirkle 
another scholarship kicker that Georgia has, who I believe is in his third year in the program, and there have been some expectations that he might one day be the, the field goal kicker, but Podlesny has beat him out and boxed him out there. And then as, punter, as far as punter goes, Jake Camarda is out. Georgia signed Brett Thorson from Australia in the 2022 recruiting class. He had a very strong, strong spring, and it looks like he's going to be Georgia's starting punter this season as well as the, for the foreseeable future. Now, going back just to yesterday now, uh, we mentioned it, three big-time recruits uh, over the past week. They get C.J. Allen uh, out of Barnesville, Georgia there, Lamar County, and the first linebacker uh, pickup for Georgia there, that inside linebacker spot, which I've heard, what, they want at least three guys just with the attrition uh, that they've had in that position to the draft and guys graduating out. Uh, how, how big of a commitment was C.J. Allen just filling one of those positions in need? Yeah, it speaks to, I think, the job that Glenn Schumann has done where Georgia is very much involved with a lot of top linebacker prospects in the country. And it sounds like Georgia has the real pick of guys that they want to come play here. And that speaks to the job that obviously Schumann has done in terms of developing his guys into NFL-level players. C.J. Allen being the first one in this class does not come as a surprise to me. While his ranking for much of the recruiting cycle had been maybe a little bit lower compared to some of the other guys that Georgia had been recruiting, this staff always really valued Allen, and I think it, they chose a lot about what they see in him to be the first player in this class, a guy who had a big rating bump and is probably going to climb even higher as this recruiting process unfolds, but a guy that Georgia really always targeted, really valued, and I think really wanted in this class, and that's a big reason why you see him joining this class. And it's interesting to know, you know, Harris and Allen were both on campus that June, uh, that. June 3rd weekend. It's the same weekend that Arch Manning was on campus. It's the same weekend that Caleb Downs was on campus. That was a very, very important recruiting weekend for Georgia, and they've already gotten some immediate results from that and landing Harris, a five-star cornerback, and Allen, a really talented four-star linebacker. Now, you were talking about this with Peyton Woodring, the kicker, where Georgia went head-to-head with Alabama and won that recruiting battle, but just going back a few years to present day now, it feels like Georgia has been winning more and more of those battles, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, because Alabama right now, maybe outside of Ohio State, I'd say is the predominant place where if you feel like you're a skill guy and you want to go pro, you go there and percentage-wise, you're going to go pro. But it feels like a little bit of addition and subtraction from Alabama when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, where Alabama hasn't been overly elite on the defensive side of the ball since Kirby Smart left, and the way Georgia's developed, it just feels like some of the guys that probably would have gone to Alabama in the past, Kirby Smart's been able to navigate them to Athens. Yeah, it, 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 it's not a coincidence that there's been a drop-off uh, in terms of the defensive side of the ball at Alabama. and Kirby Smart and Georgia continuing to improve there every year and get to a point where last year you have five NFL first-round defensive draft picks there. So I definitely think there's something that goes into that. And I'll even say this, you know, there are some concerns last year at Alabama with that wide receiver position. They go have to bring in Jamison Williams from Ohio State. This week, Ohio State has already landed two five-star wide receivers. They landed Cardinal State yesterday at IMG Academy, and then today they land Brandon Innes out of uh, American Heritage down there in South Florida. So Alabama is sort of in a very interesting recruiting spot where, you know, three, four years ago, the, the, the spots they really, really did well with, defensive side of the ball and wide receivers, they're not having that same level of success there. And I wonder if, you know, recruits always sort of know first. I sort of wonder if, they, if those sorts of recruits are starting to figure out and realize, hey, 
Nick Saban may not be around as long as we think he is. And to the point where now with some of these recruits are noticing, maybe he's not even around for the end of our college careers three, four years down the line. It is interesting to me that Alabama really loaded up on transfers this year, taking five and guys that are going to come in and compete right away. You wonder if maybe Saban is making a final big push this season before really reconsidering how much longer he wants to be in the college football game, just given how much the sport has changed in the last five years. That's fascinating, and it kind of goes with your latest piece on Dog Nation where you're talking about ESPN story uh, where they kind of project out the futures of different college programs. And for Georgia, they said the the offense needs to keep making strides. How big was going out and getting a Brian McClendon uh, to come back to this program? Because just outside of who he is as a coach and what he means legacy-wise uh, to the program, recruiting-wise, right, it seems like he maybe gets you indoors that some of the other guys weren't. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And this is no disrespect to Cortez Hankin, who I think did a really good job of developing the talent in the room. But Brian McClendon is one of the most well-connected wide receiver coaches in this country. And while you know, Georgia's not quite at recruiting at the level of Ohio State is right now, I do think that McClendon has a cachet with recruits. He obviously within the South is a very well-respected name dating from his time at Georgia and South Carolina in the past. And it says a lot that Georgia was willing to go out and spend more than they were on Cortez Hankin to go bring in Brian McClendon because that's sort of the one last little area that you really want to see them check off on a year-in-year-out basis, recruit at that elite level. They've signed elite wide receivers before, Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, Arian Smith. But you want to see Georgia get to a point where they're doing that every single class, like you're seeing them do with inside linebacker, like you're seeing them do on the defensive line, like you're seeing them do at running back. That's what Brian McClendon was brought in to do, and there isn't a very long list of wide receiver coaches in the country that I think can do what Brian McClendon is going to attempt to do at Georgia. We're catching up with Connor Riley from Dog Nation, and just sticking with that coaching point, I don't know if enough attention gets paid to how good that coaching staff is right now like you, you have Todd Munkin who's been a head coach in the past probably could be a head coach right now if you wanted to uh based off last season you obviously give him a pay raise but he's still your offensive coordinator you have Will Muschamp uh who's led Florida and uh, South Carolina in the past and he's there as a co-defensive coordinator right now Glenn Schumann uh could probably be a head coach at a lower level FBS school right now if you wanted to Del McGee sure as hell should be uh, a power five head coach right now Todd I don't know, Hartley uh, is becoming the highest paid non-coordinator in the country. And I know a lot of money has a lot to do with it, but how is Kirby Smart and the staff able to stay together with just that much immense talent in one room? I mean, money definitely helps there. And when you're a program like Georgia that spends a lot of money, on not just on coaching staff, but on everything that comes with football, this is the price of success. You have to pay to keep these coaches around and you will ultimately be rewarded with that. You know, I think going into this year, I think maybe Georgia's offense, for all that it brings back, is maybe being a little bit underrated given the continuity that they have with year three of Todd Munkin and what he has been able to do and how he's been able to improve this offense every single year he's been at Georgia. We obviously touched on Todd Hartley there, then bringing in Brian McClendon. I mean, that's a really, really strong offensive staff of not just recruiters, but guys who have been around high-level college football for a long time. And that experience... You know, early on, you could tell Kirby Smart sort of struggled, especially you look back at that first year uh, of, you know, the coaching aspects of handling and running a program. He's figured that out now. Like, they're, they're, he has checked all those boxes, knows what it takes to win a national championship from both a coaching standpoint and from a, you know, player standpoint there. And it's sort of the culmination 
of all of it coming together. And he's really, you know, the continuity on that offensive staff where it's year four for Todd Hartley, it's year seven for Dell McGee, it's year uh, three for, for, for Todd Munkin. That's all going to start to pay off for Georgia. I think like you saw last year where year three for Dan Lanning as a defensive coordinator, year six for Glenn Schumann as your, defensive, uh, as your linebacker's coach, and then Trey Scott there as well. All that continuity I think played a big role in Georgia winning a year ago, and I think it's another reason why they're going to continue to win year in, year out. Connor Riley from Dog Nation joining us. Connor, before I let you go, I like to ask people who are plugged in like you are this before we let them get out of here. What story are you focused on right now that maybe people aren't talking about enough around the Georgia program? That's a really good question. Um, like when you get those creative juices flowing, what, what, what is, what's kind of forming right now in your head? So I think the thing that I find most interesting this offseason is that Georgia didn't take a single transfer. Uh, they are, I believe, the only Power 5 school in the country that did not take anyone from the transfer portal this offseason. And while, yes, they lose 15 guys to the NFL draft, five first-round first round picks, I think the fact that they didn't use the transfer portal to show up any of their needs shows that this Georgia team feels really, really comfortable in what they have and what they're bringing back. And also feels, and Kirby Smart himself, feels very comfortable about betting on himself and betting on what he's built in this Georgia program. And I'm not saying they're going to go out and win another national championship uh, this season, but you go back and look at that first Alabama team and what they, uh, some of the struggles where they won a national championship in 2009 and then they lose three games the next year. You look at the, the trouble LSU had repeating after winning it all in 2019. I don't think Georgia's going to have those same sorts of problems because of the way that Kirby Smart has built this roster and it's willing to bet on the culture that he has established there. So, uh, you know, I, I see some people say, you know, Georgia might lose two or three games this year. I think Georgia feels very, very comfortable right now believing in itself and betting on what it is as a program. And I think a lack of anyone out of the transfer portal, maybe it's reading too much into it, but I do think that says something about the current state of the program. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, kind enough to join us here. Connor, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And again, you can find all of his stuff on dognation.com. we got more to come here. We'll come back get you ready for 3 and Out next right here on ESPN Radio. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. I have a couple of breaking news tidbits to dive into here. Uh, One from yesterday and one just coming out uh, over the past hour. If you missed the news yesterday on 3.com is reporting that former Georgia Southern running back uh, and former Benedictine cadet legend John Wesley Kennedy uh, is enter, or has entered excuse me, the transfer portal, uh, still has eligibility left. I know dealt with uh, some off-the-field stuff, but hopefully uh, he is back in a good place now and ready to go. Uh, he tweeting out on his social media uh, that he is back and looking for a new team, and dude is an NFL talent, uh, so really excited to see where he goes and where he lands. I Listen, was a star in the Sun Belt. I don't think it's going to be a step down from that. If anything, could probably see him on a Power Five roster uh, coming up here in the near future. Uh, other news to get to: Rob Gronkowski has put to bed any notions that he's coming back for another tour of duty with Tom Brady there in Tampa Bay. He has officially retired, and for my money, best tight end of all time. Maybe not greatest. I know those things mean different words, but I don't know that anyone ever did it better. I'll hear Tony Gonzalez. I'll hear Anthony or Antonio Gates, excuse me, but go look at his postseason statistics 
and he has better postseason statistics than most Titans have in their entire career. So uh, Rob Gronkowski officially announces his retirement. Surefire first ballot uh, Hall of Famer there. If you miss any portion of our show today, you can check it out on ESPNCoastal.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube as well. Appreciate everybody hanging out here uh, in the comment sections there today. PJ Zuko off for about a week. He should be back late next week. My man, living the dream. He's on a plane to a tropical paradise right now. I can't tell you where he's going to go because that's just for security purposes. But my man's going to go enjoy a little summer vacation. So PJ will be back with us next week. Uh, but we do have Braves baseball coming up for you a little bit later, immediately following three and out. But three and out is coming up next. Ben Troop and Kevin Thomas talking Braves as they're trying to start another win streak, play catch up as they are five and a half back of the New York Mets. All that coming up next right here on ESPN Radio. We'll catch up with everyone tomorrow.